We continue our series, Pray Bold, today. And uh, man, actually we are drawing near to the end of it. Um, Staff and I have already been talking about November and a new series for that time. Very excited. I'll give you some hints about that in the next uh, couple of weeks. But we are continuing in our journey today through what it means to pray bold, to believe God, as we said, to such a degree that you're willing to worship him before the answer even comes because you trust in him so greatly. You know, God delights in that kind of faith. God delights in the one who says, God, I trust you no matter what. I'm not looking at my circumstances to see if you are real. I'm looking at heaven. I'm looking at Jesus and I'm looking at your word. And through them, I'll see my circumstances. God delights in that. God looks for those who have that kind of faith and he rushes to them. He's looking for those who will not say, well, God might, God could, God possibly, God maybe. He's looking for those that will say, God will. God certainly will. God absolutely will. God has promised and God has given us his word. He has proven it through his son and he's given us his spirit. And I believe his word no matter what. Amen? That's the kind of faith that God is drawn toward. He loves to answer the pray bold that comes from those kind of hearts. Because those kind of hearts begin to live then with an expectation, with an anticipation that God is going to move. So our message today is called Pray Bold with Expectation. To pray in such a way that you expect God to move. You don't wonder if he will, you anticipate that he will, you expect him to will. You know, Jesus is the one who said that the one who does not doubt in his heart but believes these things which he says will be done, it will be done for him. The one who has that kind of faith to believe with expectation. So uh, the Bible's full of stories like that, of people who believe God with that kind of faith, and that's the kind of faith we want to have. So we're gonna jump around a few passages this morning to kind of see this truth, and then we're gonna land in one that tells a story for us about someone who believed God with powerful expectation, even when the circumstances would have said no. So in the book of James, it talks about a man uh, who was like us. And in fact, the Bible describes him as someone who had like passions as us. He knew what it was like to be on earth, but he knew what it was like to know the will of heaven. And James tells us about a man named Elijah from the Old Testament. It says in James 5, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. So this guy must not have lived in Texas, obviously. Sorry, he wouldn't have done that. But he prayed, we've got this verse. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. But then it says in the next verse, or the next part of the verse is, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Like, dude, what is going on? Why would you pray that kind of prayer? Verse 18, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. This guy had some power in prayer. He can ask heaven for it to not rain, and it doesn't. For three and a half years. And then he prays again for it to rain, and it does. He's like, I'd love to have that kind of faith. Well, I love the fact that the Bible says Elijah was a man like us. And once we know the story, you can see that this is not just his whim. It's not just like, hey, I think it'd be cool if it didn't rain for a little while. And then all of a sudden it doesn't rain. 
And then, hey, I think it'd be cool if it did rain. And it did. No, there's a whole story behind this that tells us why Elijah prayed like this. There's a story behind it. It's recorded for us in the book of 1 Kings. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bible to 1 Kings, we're going to land in 18. But if you want to move back one page to 17, we get the story here about what's going on with Elijah and why in the world he would even pray that it would not rain. So 1 Kings 17, it's about Israel. And they're going through a very difficult time. These are the people of God, the nation of God. And God has a way for a nation to live, believe it or not. He has a way that a culture is to live. And God showed that through the nation of Israel. He set them up as an icon, as an example to say, this is what it looks like to be the people of God. And it shows up in how you live every part of your life. Well, they were going through a time where they were very disobedient. They were very hard-hearted, uninterested in following the ways of God. And in fact, it produced a split within the nation. There was the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. It produced a, a civil war, if you will, in a sense, a split between the two kingdoms. And they were not on a good trajectory. They were not following God. They were doing very poorly at seeking him. And so God caused some people to be raised up that were called prophets. Because when the king wouldn't listen, God had to raise up a prophet who would speak to them. In other words, when the government won't listen, God will raise up the church to be the voice that says, here is truth. Amen? It's in the Bible. Check it out. So God caused a prophet to rise up. His name is Elijah. And he is about to speak to the government, the king, whose name is Ahab, a wicked king, godless king, uninterested king in serving God. Here he is, the king of God's people. Because sometimes when the people of God get far off trajectory, they'll see someone in power over them who's even further off trajectory. Hello. Okay, and so God has this king who is wicked, who's married to a wife in some ways who's even more wicked. Her name is Jezebel. And so because of their wickedness and because of the wickedness of the people, God raises up Elijah to speak to the king. And here's what Elijah says. He's the one who says to him in verse one of chapter 17, Elijah said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives that before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Wow. Elijah, there you go. You just sounded like you're just kind of making up this stuff. Where did you get this whole thing about rain? Look here. Prophets in the Bible were not just fortune tellers. You didn't go to them because they had a little magic ball and they told you the future. Prophets knew God's ways and they simply declared the truth of God's ways with unashamed boldness. That's important to know. And so, Elijah is not just making up something about rain. Hey, that'd be a fun idea, not rain. No, Elijah knew what God had already said back in the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, write it down for later, look it up. Deuteronomy 11, verses 16 and 17 says this, take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain and the land yield no produce and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Elijah just knew what the law said. Elijah knew what the promise was and God had said, the day your heart drifts far from me and you refuse to return to me, I 
will cause some circumstances to begin to play out in life that will cause you to have to come back to me. He said, and the circumstances will be that I will cause heaven to stop raining. There won't be rain, there won't be dew, you won't have crops until you finally cry out to me. God uses circumstances to get our attention. He had it in the law. Elijah knew it. So when Elijah sees the nation falling into just moral decay, resisting God, he simply states what was already written in God's word. There's not going to be any rain, Ahab, and it's not gonna happen until I say. This was not Ahab making himself God. This was Ahab saying, I know God's ways. I know what he does. Now, throughout this series, uh, if you're like me, it has caused me to have a greater hunger to know God's promises. I want to I be like Elijah. I want to know the promises so thoroughly that as I'm watching what's playing out around me, I can say, hmm, okay, I know what God has already said about this situation. And because of what he said, I can actually know what's about to play out next because I know God's hand. Hello? Doesn't make me a fortune teller. That makes me a knower of truth. Amen? It just makes me wise in God's ways. So I've been on the search for resources because I'm guessing you might be in the same position. You think, well, okay, well, what are all these promises then? Because if there's some promises that God has made, I wanna know them. Hello? I'd like to know what those are. So I found a very inexpensive resource. I have another one I'll show you next week. But this one I picked up at Mardell Bookstore. There's one in Arlington. This one is priced at $4.99. It was on sale for $2.99. There you go. So everybody ought to be able to get one. It's called God's Promises for Your Every Need. So you can pick these up at Amazon, Mardell, ChristianBook.com, any of these. And it is a topical listing of promises that God makes from his word. This is, it doesn't have a bunch, it doesn't have any opinion in here. It's just all scripture divided into topics. So you look through it and you say, okay, I need to see some promises about uh, what it means for my security, for sufficiency, for, I need, I need some promises about strength. I need some promises about uh, obedience. I need some promises for, about having patience. It's all arranged topically in here. This would be a great resource for just a couple of bucks or more to keep beside you and know these promises. This is what Elijah did. Elijah knew the promises and he was able to keep them, speak them, believe them, and interpret what was going on in the culture around him. Amen? So, where we are today is in 1 Kings 18, the next chapter. Now, we're going to skip all the way down to 41, and I'm going to give you the condensed version of what happens in 1 through 40. So this Elijah, the prophet, is, is raised up, and he begins to speak. He speaks out against Ahab, and Ahab doesn't really listen to him, and the people don't listen to him. In fact, it really irritates the people and the fake prophets. The land is full of fake prophets. I'm not, I'm not talking about today, but there really is today as well. But back in that day, there were fake prophets. They had fake news, and they were broadcasting all that they believed that was not about God. And so Elijah ends up in this battle against the fake prophets. 
Hello, it's the church against the fake news. Hello, are you with me this morning? Are you putting all this together, two and two, right? So Elijah is speaking truth and the false prophets are having none of it. They don't like this whole thing. And so what it amounts to is a battle that breaks out. There's a, there's a contest, there's a showdown, if you will. And Elijah proposes a battle. He says, hey, why don't we do this? You bring all of your prophets and you set up an altar and you offer sacrifices to your God. And Elijah says, I will set up an altar and I will offer sacrifices to the one true God. And whichever one's God answers by fire and licks up the sacrifice, that will be the one true God. And so they do. They, they set up this contest, they set up this battle, and it happens on Mount Carmel. And they have this battle there. And all of the people are gathered, all of the people are watching what's happening, all of the people are aware, and they are watching this display of God's power being demonstrated. And sure enough, God shows himself strong and faithful. And the fire of God comes down and licks up the sacrifice. And the other prophets, they're out there all day long begging for something to happen and nothing happens. Well, at the end of the day, because God shows up and the sacrifice is licked up, that all of the people say, the Lord, he is God, he really is God. And the nation repents. And all of the people fall on their faces before God. Now, the story gets tragic and surprisingly rough because it says then that all of these false prophets, the hundreds of them, they are taken down and Elijah and the people kill them all because their hearts are so hard and so resistant and they are removed out of the culture. And the showdown has taken place and now as we come to our story today of where we're gonna be reading, we're gonna be following along in verse 41 to see what happens next. Because Elijah is about to demonstrate faith at a level that you and I are gonna say, that is the kind of faith I want. So this is the kind of faith that has expectation. This is the kind of faith that believes God even when. Even when it is difficult, even when it seems hard to believe, even when the circumstances don't seem to be turning in your favor, faith that is even when. Verse 41 is where we start today. And here is what it said. Now, this is, again, this is after the showdown has happened. And what's left is Ahab and Elijah. Verse 41, it says, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink. In other words, it's been a long day. You might want to go get something to eat. You might want to go get something to drink. Elijah's being nice. He's being kind. He's being compassionate to Ahab the king. You better go rest up, sir, because here's what he says next. For there is the sound of the abundance of rain. Wow. Rain? There hadn't been rain in three and a half years. Elijah, how can you say there is the sound of the abundance of rain? Now, I just want you to take a mental picture of this screen. Don't forget this moment. 
This is critical in what we're about to see happen next. The showdown has happened. God has shown himself faithful. The people have repented. And Elijah says, for there is the sound of the abundance of rain. In other words, I hear rain. I hear a lot of rain. I hear it coming. You gonna remember this moment? Yeah, a lot of rain. Verse 42. So Ahab went up to eat and drink and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Now, just get this. This king, for three and a half years, has not had rain in the land. Can you imagine if in Texas we didn't have rain for three and a half years? There'd be trouble, desperate trouble. And if someone said, hey, I hear rain coming, you would think you would say, really? Where? I don't, I don't, I don't hear it. Where, where is it? That would be awesome. You mean God's gonna do that? You would think that would be the right response. Ahab is wicked though. And when he hears that there's rain coming, when he knows that God has just shown himself faithful, Ahab doesn't do anything. Ahab says, dude, I'm gonna go get a burger. It's been a long day. He goes up to eat and drink. Like, Ahab, what is wrong with you? Do you not have any spiritual sensitivity? Do you not, not have any awareness of what is happening here? That Elijah, the man of God that God has just validated by this action, has said rain is coming and you say nothing? You don't say praise the Lord? You don't say let's thank him? You don't say let's pray? You do nothing? But Elijah... He says, I'm going to pray. I'm going to the top of Carmel. I've got to get up there. This is the kind of faith that chooses to believe even when you are all alone in believing a promise. Have you ever been in a situation where you're the one who believes the promise? Where you're the one who has heard God speak where you are the one who has the scripture, you've heard from God and you say it, and everybody else is like, let's go eat some pizza. And they just dismiss it, they just overlook you, they just don't even acknowledge God in the moment. Here is Elijah having faith, even when he's the only one in the moment who knows the promise of God and is holding to it. Because this is what you do when you have bold faith. This is what you do when you pray bold. You pray it even if no one else is praying with you. You pray it if no one else agrees with you. You pray it when no one else even gives you any credibility, any affirmation, or any encouragement in the situation. You still pray bold. You still go up on the mountain. You still seek the Lord, and you still believe. Amen? The Bible says next, then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. This dude must have been practicing some yoga or something. That's tough. You know, just, this dude is all the way laid out. We're sometimes good if we can stand and bow our head or sit in our chair, but he is laid out on the ground. He's got his face down and he's tucked up underneath. It's this sign of great humility. It's this sign of great 
uh, of trusting God, of not depending upon himself and crying out to God. And he is praying. He's praying bold. Elijah's not having to wonder what to pray for. He knows what to pray for because he knows the promise of God that as soon as the people repented, that rain would come. And so he knows, I can pray for rain because God promised it. You can really only pray bold for the things that God has promised that he would do. It's not about us trying to get our way. It's about us believing God has a way and his way coming to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? He's believing promises. And Elijah is doing this. He is praying with intensity. He's saying, God, you've promised and you've kept your word for three and a half years. Now the people have repented. Would you send rain at your word? Would you do what you've already promised? Would you show these people who you are? Would you show them the power of everything that you've committed yourself to us, of your covenant, of your ways? God, would you show us all of that? Would you cause the rain to happen? And Elijah is praying. The next part in verse 43 says this. And he said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. Elijah is so confident that God's going to answer that while he's praying, he says to his assistant, hey, why don't you go look and see if you see any indications of rain? This means if you want to have this kind of faith, you pray and you believe even when you're all alone and you expect it even when you are praying. God, I'm praying and I'm already expecting you to answer. Because, not because of me, but because of you and your word. I'm believing what you've promised. So God, even while I'm praying, I'm gonna send my assistant to go look. I wanna see if there's any evidence. I wanna see if there's some clouds forming. I want to see if the rain is starting to come. I want to see if there's any lightning, thunder, clouds on the horizon. God, I want to go see. I'm going to send my servant to go see. Because he was that expectant. He was that confident. He was living in that kind of anticipation. Because when you live with that kind of expectation, it starts changing some things. If you're believing some promises about your family, for example, maybe you've got a loved one who has not yet come to Christ and you're praying for them. And you start to have that kind of expectation faith that says, God, you're going to move. I believe you will. I'm confident in it. I'm so confident in it that I'm gonna start listening to every word that's said and observing every action looking for your hand. I'm not gonna be wondering if he will, maybe he's going to, I don't know if he might. No, it's confident, God. I've asked, you've promised, you've said, I believe it. So now I'm gonna start looking. I'm gonna start listening to conversations. So every time that loved one starts talking, my ears are up because I wanna hear. I wanna hear what God's doing because I'm confident he is working. You see what I'm saying? That's different than thinking he might, he could. No, this says he is, he will. 
I'm confident in it. And when you have that kind of expectation, it changes how you live. You start looking for God. You start looking for where he's moving. You don't wonder if he is, you know he is. And you start looking for him like he is. Amen? You start moving and looking even while you're still praying. Now, the story goes on and it tells us, it says the servant, so he went up and looked and said, there is um, nothing. You know that servant had to feel just a little bit awkward. He goes over and he looks out there and he's squinting and, oh man. So he has to go back and tell Elijah, hey, there is nothing. I mean, there's not a cloud. There's not, there's nothing out there. If you're gonna live with expectation, you have to be ready for the fact that God has a timetable. God has a purpose and a plan. And just because you don't see it happening in the time that you want does not mean he's not working. We saw that in the book of Daniel when Daniel starts praying and he's praying and he's wondering, how come I'm not seeing results? And then an angel shows up 21 days later and says, hey, sorry I couldn't get here sooner. I got caught up in some spiritual warfare. Don't question the heart of God when you don't see the timetable happen as you want it. He is true, he is faithful, he is good, he is just. Trust him, believe him. And Elijah keeps expecting even when there is no immediate evidence. I don't see anything yet. I don't see anything on the horizon I don't see any indicators. So you've got some things you're praying for and you keep opening the mail looking for that check to come in and it hadn't come yet. You keep waiting for that happen, that, that thing that you've been praying for in a relationship with someone, that reconciliation, and you don't see any results yet. You keep waiting for that door to open and you don't see any results yet. Don't let your circumstances cause you to evaluate the heart of God. Use the heart of God to look at your circumstances. Don't say, well, I hadn't seen it yet. I guess I shouldn't even be praying anymore about this. I guess God can't hear me. I guess God isn't gonna keep his promise. I guess maybe I've messed up too much and he won't hear me pray. No, don't look at God through your circumstances. Look at your circumstances through the promises of God. He's the one who keeps his word and he is sure and he is faithful and he is just and what he has promised, he will do. But he's looking for those who will believe him in that. He's looking for those who will hold true no matter what. And this person doesn't get discouraged when it hasn't happened yet. This person doesn't get surprised at the time delay. This person is not upset even when the situation seems to be getting worse. But Elijah's got enough faith that though the servant says there is nothing, he just keeps on praying bold. I'm afraid this is where a lot of believers get tripped up on our day though. Our faith is small and it doesn't happen as quickly as we want or in the way that we want and we check out and we assume God didn't hear. God's against us. God's not interested. But God has given his word and he's always interested in his word and he's always interested in those who will believe him. So the servant says, there is nothing. 
The next part of verse 43 says, and seven times he said, go again. Elijah is praying. He's believing the promise of God. The servant says, there's nothing. Go back and look again. And he keeps praying. That servant goes all the way out and looks. Hey, there's still, go look again. Mm, okay, all right. Seven times this happens. I'm sure it had to be awkward for the assistant, the servant, but the faith of Elijah is not shaken anywhere along the way because he keeps sending him back to go look. He could have said, oh well, forget it. Let's go get some burgers with Ahab. He could have checked out on the whole deal. He could have said, yeah, this whole thing about church all the time, I don't know, that's just kind of silly to me. It's not really, this whole thing about praying, I don't know. No, Elijah just says, I know the promise of God. I know what he said. I know what he's gonna do. And I'm believing it and I'll keep praying it until I see it happen. This is what expectation does. You keep on praying when there is still no answer. What's fascinating is we don't know how long it took to get through these seven times. We don't know if this is one minute each trip and back. We don't know if this is an hour in between trips. We don't know if this is days between trips. But Elijah is not shaken because he keeps sending the servant back to say, go look again. God is going to work. God is going to provide. God is going to keep his word. This is not an if. This is not a might. This is not a maybe. This is a certainly he will. And I'm going to keep looking until I see him answer. That's some bold faith. Amen. This is praying bold with expectation. So story goes on. It says, then it came to pass that the seventh time that he said, this is the servant, uh, hey, there is a cloud. It's as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So the servant looks and way over here is a little bitty cloud. It's not much at all. And boy, it is a long way off. It's small. Elijah said, it's like a man's hand way out there. It's small. Ever prayed and the answer didn't come like you thought it was going to? It came in a different way. It came in a different time. It came in a different form. That's what's happening here. Rain's coming, but the way this one starts is small, real small. And this is about to become a powerful moment of faith. This is about to be a powerful moment of demonstration of what Elijah believes. Because here's what he says. He says, so he, Elijah said, go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. He says, you better get up and you better get ready. I know you're in there having lunch. I know you've got your servants bringing you food. 
I know you're all kicked back and thinking this is not gonna happen, but I'm telling you, rain is coming, big rain is coming, it's gonna be heavy, it's gonna be loud, and if you don't get down there now, something bad is gonna happen because this rain is big, this storm is big, and expectation prayer prays even when it doesn't happen like you thought. It keeps on believing. It keeps on pursuing. It keeps on holding to the promises. When you have this kind of expectation, then you know how to interpret life. You see, Elijah hears that there's a cloud out there. It's as small as a man's hand. But because Elijah has faith, he knows how to read the situation. There's some forecasters today that I wonder, do you not know how to read the forecast anymore? Hello? Yes, thank you. Elijah knows how to read the spiritual forecast because he's a man of faith. And when he hears that there's a cloud out there, he says, oh, oh you better watch out. I don't care what your favorite weatherman says. It's about to rain. It's about to rain big. It's about to be a downpour. And you better get ready because God always keeps his promises. He does. And when you know that, then you can start reading life. Then you can start reading and having discernment. Then you can start moving through life based on promises, not based on your fears. Then you can start believing in promises, not the circumstances. Then you can have peace. Then you can be settled. Then you can know how to speak. Then you can know what God is up to. And in this situation, Elijah knew what God was about to do. He is about to bring some rain. Now, the next part of the story and the last part of it we're gonna look at today and verse 45 says, now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. God kept his promises because even though initially there appeared to be nothing in the sky, in this moment there began to be a downpour of rain. Now, I wanna draw your attention back to a moment I told you earlier to remember. Because Elijah had already said, there is the sound of the abundance of rain. How many clouds were in the sky when Elijah said there is the sound of abundance of rain? None. He heard it before it had come to pass. Not because he had ears like a cat or a dog or because he had advanced radar technology that no one else had, he knew the promise of God. And God had already promised that when the people repent, there will be rain. So Elijah can say, there's a sound of abundance of rain because God always keeps his promises. The minute a cloud was seen, it was just affirmation, confirmation. Yes, he does. He keeps his promises. He always will. And when the rain began to fall, Elijah had the biggest I told you so moment that could ever have come to pass. He says, I knew it. God would be faithful. God kept his promises. God has been true. And so that brings us to a place today where you and I have to consider what kind of faith do we have? Do you have the kind of faith of 
hopefully not Ahab, that you hear a promise from God and you just check out and like, that's cool. When's this thing over so I can go get me some barbecue? You know, no, you hear a promise and you say, I'm in it. I'm gonna believe that. I'm gonna claim it. I'm gonna hold to it. I'm gonna hold to it in spite of what happens. I'm gonna believe it in spite of the circumstances. I'm gonna trust God in this moment because he is the one who has given his truth. He is the one who has given his promises. And I don't believe just to say, he might, he could, if, possibly, maybe, we'll see. God's not drawn to that kind of faith. In fact, in the book of James, James says, you believe in God, that's good. Even the demons believe and they tremble. Oh, they believe. They know there's a God. But those who have faith, they believe this God's promises and they hold to them with certainty. So you and I don't have to live with uncertainty, lack of peace, lack of clarity. We can say, God, I believe your promises. And you said, you will never leave me or forsake me. I hold to that. God, you said, you will work all things together for good. I hold to that promise. God, you said, you will give wisdom to those who ask. I claim that promise. God, you said, you will fight on my behalf. You said, you will restore the years that the locusts have eaten when we trust in you. It's a promise. You cling to it. You hold to it. Even when the days don't yet seem to indicate it. You believe the promise that God will give you strength to mount up with wings like eagles. That he will exalt the humble. That he will make your path straight. That he will give me rest. That he will give me peace. That he will open the door. That he will take what the enemy has meant for evil and turn it for good. And that he will always keep his promises. When you believe that, then you and I can say, when no one else is saying it, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. I hear the sound of my family coming to Jesus. I hear the sound of, of God answering what I've been asking for. I hear the sound of provision coming for what I've been praying for. I hear the sound of doors opening because I'm trusting in him. I hear the sound of my heart mending and having peace because he's promised it. I hear that sound long before it ever happens. So much before that I can even worship before it happens. I can praise before my breakthrough. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, this morning, I thank you that you are the God who makes promises, who is faithful and never turns his back on his children. Today, I pray that we would be a people of such great faith that we would worship before we see the result, that we would praise before we see the breakthrough and that we would walk in the promises even before we see the results. Strengthen our faith today, God. We believe that you are our God. We believe in your promises. We believe that you will bring restoration. You will bring reconciliation when we walk in obedience to you. And I pray that would be true for us as a church. 
we would continue to see your hand move mightily in us and through us and out from us, declaring the gospel to the nations because you've promised you're building your church. You've called us to go therefore and make disciples. We stand in that promise that even the gates of hell will not prevail against us in that pursuit. We thank you for your promises and pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we close today with a baptism. We've, we've had a long string of baptisms, amen? It's been good to see God's hand moving and uh, we continue with that today and there's actually many more coming over the weeks ahead. So let me grab that microphone right there and let me introduce to you Chelsea. Chelsea, come on up on the stage. I'll give her a warm welcome. She's coming on up. As with most folks, it's not the most comfortable thing to get on stage and stand a bunch of, of some folks, but they're all happy folks. They're nice folks, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, they are. So listen to this. Chelsea met Wendy, who was baptized last week. They met recently, some weeks back, maybe months back even. About a month ago, I'm gonna let you hold that. And Chelsea's here to be baptized today. So give us a little background of how we got here today, Chelsea. Uh, well, my faith is still kind of new. I was in the dark world of addiction for a very long time. And when things got real bad and my daughter got taken from me and I finally decided to go get help and it was the best decision I ever made. And it was there I learned a lot about faith. And there was a girl at the rehab I was at, she would pass out Bible verses and I would take one and read it every night. And every night it started blowing my mind. I was like, wow, <laughs> this is crazy. There's really something to this. And I started practicing prayer. And this sermon was really crazy because I debated talking about this or not, but I guess I will real quick. That um, I started going to church when I met Wendy and moved into the shelter. And I found out about a month ago that I'm pregnant. And um, wow. yeah, and at first I was really, really terrified because of my circumstances. And I just felt like I didn't deserve to have another kid when I'm still trying to prove that I can, you know, I deserve my first one. And well, I was bawling and I called Wendy and then I called David and he's like, I'm coming, I'm coming, you know, cause I was just freaking out. and. I was sitting outside the shelter and I just kind of looked up to the sky, pouting like a child. I was like, God, I'm still gonna trust you because I've been praying since I've learned the power of prayer to just keep me on the right path to have my daughter again. And here we are a month later from that and they're discussing returning her. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's been incredible. Um, yeah, she's just beginning her journey, as she said, faith in Jesus Christ. And she's taking the step of obedience today, the first step of obedience of many, amen? So can we covenant to pray for her? Boy, she's got a little ways to walk yet, amen? In fact, let's pray for her now because I know that the Lord has a purpose and plan for her life and it begins with this commitment to Jesus Christ, amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Chelsea. I thank you that though it was at a very dark time, you spoke to her heart and you spoke grace and you spoke peace and forgiveness and redemption. And now you're beginning that process in her life. So Father, I, I pray blessings upon her as she now follows you, boldly proclaims you, 
lives in obedience to you. I thank you for her. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, Chelsea, let's go back here and do this. Come on. Baptism is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. His death, his resurrection. And now what it offers to us is death to who we once were and resurrection to life in him so that our sins and our past are truly forgiven. They're washed away and we have new identity in him. And this is what Chelsea believes. This is why Chelsea is here today. So Chelsea, you're a child of God because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And these waters today show us the power of washing away our sins, but also being buried in Jesus and raised to walk in new life. So you don't ever have to let the, the words of the enemy attack you, assault you, accuse you, threaten you, or attack you. Because now you belong to Jesus Christ. Amen. Because of that, I baptize you, my sister in Christ. You're buried with him in baptism. And raised to walk in newness of life.